From Moby.co, this is the Flagship Pod, a weekly podcast about stocks, the economy, and the various market forces that power the world around you. As always, I'm your host, Peter Starr, bringing you this time something a little bit different. We've had a lot of technical difficulties here at Moby.co. Our episode last week, which was posted live on Discord, got completely corrupted, so it's basically lost forever. And meanwhile, we really wanted to get an episode out this week, but unfortunately, a lot of circumstances prevented our CEO, co-founder, and chief analyst, Justin Kramer, from being able to join us for our usual conversation. It's still a really pivotal moment in the economy, though, like we're just missing out on two whole weeks of really important news. So instead of hearing the usual conversation, you will, you're about to listen to about 25 minutes of my sonorous voice very calmly and methodically describing to you all the things that have happened since round about the end of July. We're going to actually have a variety of guests coming in August. It's not just going to be me and Justin talking anymore. We're trying to diversify, but we're going to kick that off with perhaps the most interesting style of podcast, which is just one guy talking. So let's just go ahead and get into it. I don't want to go too long on the description here. And so I'm going to break this down in terms of understanding what's happening in our economy right now, because what we're seeing is a very pivotal moment, right? We're seeing some really interesting maneuvers in the macro world. We're seeing the market react like this is one big giant bull rally and slash or the end of a bear market. Whether or not that's true remains to be seen. And of course, we're seeing a lot of really interesting motion within sort of all of the positions we've been taking in both the stock and crypto space, which help us understand where the market is going and how various positions will react to the market as the situation evolves. Again, it's really hard to say if we are at the beginning, the end, the middle of any potential downturn, but hopefully we can find some truth here. So let's go ahead and get into it. So first and foremost, I'm going to go ahead and hit you with the macro environment because it is genuinely interesting. As you know, the CPI came out mid-July and kind of broke the spirit of the market briefly as we saw a lot of concerns about inflation, you know, increasing and being borderline out of control. The market quickly calmed down when the Fed raised interest rates by 75 basis points and basically announced that it's going to do so for the next maybe two, maybe even three months. We'll see. And so the main event the market is watching is going to be next week's CPI print on August 10th. We're going to get a lot of really interesting information about that. And the market can only go one of two ways here. Either it's going to be at or below market expectations, signaling that finally inflation is under control, or it can be at or above those expectations, signaling that the Fed really hasn't got inflation under control because the Fed doesn't necessarily have the right tool set to get inflation under control. Let me unpack that a little bit, though. Again, what we're seeing in this very bizarre macro environment is a situation where we have basically two economies. Inflation is broad-based only because every single necessity on Earth is getting more and more expensive thanks to supply chains and an energy crisis and the war in Eastern Europe. So what we have here is every single necessity, food, shelter, energy, that sort of thing, becoming more and more expensive, but consumer spending not necessarily going down, which means that while inflation looks broad-based, it's entirely supply-side, which is difficult because the Fed manages demand-side inflation. This is why last week we saw the stock market actually briefly go down when we had a strong, positive jobs report. This is one of the central contradictions within us trying to fix the economy with the tool set we have. A strong jobs report means that wages are going to go up, which means that people are going to be spending more, and the issue with inflation is that if we spend more on top of things being more expensive, prices will go up even more, which means the Fed may have to become even more hawkish, which is why the huge 
huge fracture point is coming on August 10th when we see that CPI. The head fake about July CPI report is that it's data for June, right? And in June, gas prices were at almost their absolute highest. And, and from the end of June through all of July, we saw gas prices go down significantly. And, and so if this thesis, the whole thing about inflation being entirely supply side and very little to do with monetary supply is correct, we're going to see CPI drop, not significantly, which will give the market confidence. If inflation is going up despite energy prices going down throughout the course of July, that will spook the absolute bejesus out of the market and we will resume bear territory. So huge pivotal moment coming on August 10th, which brings it, which gives us a huge pivotal moment on August 10th when we release that CPI information. And of course, I am genuinely hoping that I'm getting that date right in my notes, you know, because again, we are in this interesting situation where the market is rocketing back up, wages are going back up. The market is essentially priced in what they think inflation is going to be. And if the market's correct, I mean, that's genuinely a good thing. It means the economy got a little too hot when we recovered in 2021. We shed a lot of that heat and now we'll be able to stabilize because most of the decline that has already happened has happened in the tech sector where people just were completely flush with cash by the end of 2020 and throughout 2021. Overhired all of the big tech firms and most tech firms, frankly, have shed, you know, five to 20% of their staffs. So, and this is compounded by earnings season that happened two weeks ago as well, which was a very interesting conversation Justin and I had on a now lost episode of this podcast. The gist here is, is that while every big tech company, let's think Facebook, Google, Apple, and Amazon, right, all reported headwinds and pain coming in from their retail side, all of their non-retail and non-advertising line items are looking pretty positive. So stocks like Microsoft, Amazon, and Google specifically managed to pop off despite, you know, a lot of retail headwinds. Again, retail is physical goods. Physical goods are getting more and more expensive thanks to how astonishingly breakable our delicate yet powerful supply chain system was. And we're still going to be dealing with those reverberations for a long time, but they are gradually getting better, especially if we can get energy prices under control. But don't look at all this green and this positive news and assume that that means we're completely out of the woods, the sell-off is over. Because the only thing earnings season could have told us this year was if the economy was actually in a full real bad downturn. Let me explain what I mean. These Q3 earnings calls in July were about the previous quarter, so we're talking April, May, and June, those three months. We've been talking about inflation since literally January, but it didn't really start punching the market in the face until more around mid-May, early June, right? So when we look at the inflation pressures driving down revenue at these companies, we're not going to see that information until Q3 earnings calls that are going to happen in or around October, maybe even the beginning of November. November for some firms. And that's going to be the real key to see if this is a full-on, real bad extended recession, or if this was just a real quick correction. So it's all coming to a head. October is the month. If we got bad news in July, if we got bad news in April, that was going to tell us that, you know, we're in a really bad downturn. But the way of understanding when the market has the potential to actually bottom is going to happen in October. If we get bad news and see that these companies just can't handle these inflationary pressures and these inflationary pressures are going to stick around and, you know, continue to be bad and potentially really hurt in the long run, then we're going to see the market absolutely lose its mind and maintain this sell-off. If we see positive news and see that these companies can find ways of being profitable despite all these pressures, then this is kind of us establishing a new normal, a new and interesting paradigm where we deal with global supply chain issues, where we deal with countries becoming more and more protectionist in their trade. And as the global order doesn't fracture, but it becomes more interesting as, you know, countries like Russia go ahead and invade Ukraine and countries like China think about invading Taiwan and everything else that's going on. So 
the through line here for the macro and also earnings environment is that it's just deeply, deeply complicated. So how does you an investor really think about this? And the answer is we genuinely don't know. The bear market playbook of just holding on to a little bit of extra cash is actually still pretty valid, making sure that you are not YOLOing into any particular position. No one can predict the bottom. The bottom may still actually not be here. We may see market overreact to bad CPIs and bad earnings in October and drive the S&P all the way into the 37s and the 36s, right? But if the bottom's already passed, like if Bitcoin's lowest price was 1700 if the S&P's lowest point was in the 3700s, that's still fine. You can wait until October to get a little bit more aggressive if you're, you know, capable of it. Keep your positions open now. Keep dollar cost averaging into positions you love the most, right? And stay the course so to speak, because it's a really interesting moment to be investing, but the only mistake right now is to either A, not invest, or B, be a forced seller. So keep to the middle of the road. This is not financial advice, but this is how our analysts are thinking about playing it right now. So we're still going to be putting out stock picks, but you're going to see us a little bit avoid retail and e-commerce for a bit as physical goods maintain their sort of very expensive edge and think more about services, think more about industrial plays, think more about utilities. Of course, there are some physical goods that feel a little bit inflation-proof just based on the kinds of markets they serve, so look forward to a report we're doing on Chipotle later this month. If you are an older subscriber of Moby.co, I really hope that you jumped on our chief analyst Justin Kramer's position in DraftKings because that was clearly just being oversold and after their latest earnings report is just beautifully popping off. We're going to be updating our price target on DraftKings momentarily as we enter into football season, which is not as big of a sports betting phase, but as more adoption hits, things are looking pretty sick at DraftKings, frankly, as you know, sports betting really starts to take a hold here in America. But at the same time, while we're not really talking about physical goods and retail just yet, remember that these retail pressures are going to be very short-lived. It's one of those things where the supply chain machine is not going to be broken forever. We are going to gradually get a handle on this. We're going to gradually get a better handle on the COVID-19 pandemic, avoid shutdowns, and get ships, you know, moving back in the right direction, especially as energy price inflation gets under control as refining capacity goes up here in the U.S. We need to find different ways for the global machine to keep running. Regardless, the whole point of that tangent is that these retail pressures are temporary, and so if you, you know, feel very confident about various retail plays, if you feel confident that Walmart can come back from being 8% down, if you feel confident about Amazon being massively discounted by just how expensive its e-commerce business is worldwide compared to how ludicrously profitable AWS is, by all means, go for it. Understand that you are a long-term investor, not a short-term investor. If you're able to sort of hold Amazon through the next six months of potential extra downturn and then extra, extra downturn at dollar cost average, you're probably going to have a pretty great time once the global economy gets its act together and once AWS starts being less and less encumbered by overexpense over at Amazon e-commerce. Same deal with Walmart, same deal with any retailer that you particularly believe in. Physical goods are not over. This is not Mark Zuckerberg's moment for the metaverse to completely take over and our lives to become completely virtual. I still can't find a reason to invest in meta right now, I think. I'm starting to have more and more doubts about the big pivot to the metaverse for Mark Zuckerberg, and I still am kind of holding on to the idea that meta is very much becoming a BlackBerry-style company, i.e., you know, not relevant anymore, and only irrelevant by its own design. So, absolutely amazing if that actually pans out, but, you know, maintain your positions if you still feel confident about how just ludicrously high their revenue can be once people start turning their ad budgets back on. And that's where we are right now. We're between breaths here in the global economy.
The Fed's on vacation for August. A lot of companies kind of take off for August. A lot of fintech reporters take off for August. And you are listening to the one reporter left at Moby rather than listening to a whole conversation about the global economy. Inflation is everything right now, but there is no singular political reason for all of this inflation. And so as we look forward to this, we're looking forward to the CPI on August 10th. We're looking forward to better and better economic data. We're excited to see that home starts actually increased a little bit, so we're not seeing a full-on housing bubble burst on top of everything else. We're excited that the mortgage boycott in China is slowing down a little bit, so hopefully we can avoid a Lehman Brothers-style collapse of that entire country's housing market, because that would be... You know, it'll just be a little spice to add on top of the cake, frankly. But other than that, the end of August and beginning September are going to be very much moments of stay the course until October. And then it's going to be absolute mayhem. Because amidst earnings season here with American companies, we will also watch the two political sides of the spectrum make their big case for the midterms. If earnings season turns out okay, Democrats here in America are going to push and say, hey, you know, uh, the buy whatever, whatever we're doing over here is working and therefore don't go to the other side. Meanwhile, Republicans are no matter what going to say that, you know, inflation is terrible, everything's bad here in America, and, you know, Joe Biden has not, you know, fixed the things, so to speak. And if there is any kind of downturn with any of those earnings reports that brings down the rest of the market into more bear territory, the Republicans are going to have way more ammo to play with that, right? And so what you're going to see is just way more noise as people begin yelling more and more about inflation. So just remember, it's entirely supply-side our entire economy can only really be shifted on the demand side of the equation easily, I should say. There are ways to help with supply-side inflation, but they're difficult and a lot of times can make the problems worse than they actually are. So what you look at is just a bunch of question marks, really, as our global system reacts to very, very difficult supply-side inflation. But just understand, you are about to hear a lot more about monetary policy as the months go on, as the heat for these midterms kicks off, because the Republicans see an opportunity to set the stage for taking power back in 2024, and they're going to fight like hell for and the Democrats, you know, want to maintain the power they have and at least push some sort of agenda forward, although both parties are kind of fractious on internal party lines. And this is not a political podcast, so that's as far as I'm going. I'm just, I'm trying to give you facts here as much as possible. The market is inherently political, but we try to give you just, you know, facts, figures, and those kind of, like, very dispassionate narratives so we don't get clouded by what is ultimately a very noisy political moment. Politics more obfuscate than anything and get your emotions more involved than, than they necessarily need to be as you think about the market. So I appreciate you having patience during that digression, but I don't intend to hit you up more with it. So moral of the story is stay the course, but don't expect anything terribly dramatic outside of August 10th. The most important thing you are watching is that CPI data. Will inflation be out of control or will we start showing that we are getting inflation under control? We'll be here with you every step of the way. We'll have a report coming out after the CPI goes live, but at the end of the day, feel free to ask us questions throughout all of this. And that finally kind of brings me just real quick to crypto. Again, when you're looking at all of these narratives, crypto is just going to follow the NASDAQ. So positive NASDAQ news means positive Bitcoin news. Positive Bitcoin news means overall we're going to see lots and lots of good news coming out of crypto. Unless, of course, the CPI tanks the NASDAQ, which would in turn tank Bitcoin. As Rather than seeing Bitcoin as an inflation hedge, people just see... Bitcoin and crypto as a risk asset, much like they see a lot of the tech companies on the NASDAQ. That's why they move together. That's why they move together because a lot of institutional money has entered into the Bitcoin ecosystem, and therefore when they pull that money out, they're pulling it out for the exact same reasons they're pulling it out of the NASDAQ. So while Bitcoin will always move bigger than the NASDAQ. It will always move in tandem-ish with the NASDAQ. The main things we're looking for in crypto right now are obviously just the macro environment keeping Bitcoin alive. We're looking for the Ethereum merge to be 
A, basically confirmed for September, and then successful in September, which will give us a lot of interesting indications about how Ethereum becomes more efficient as it moves into a proof-of-stake model. It's going to be very exciting to see how all that works out. There's a lot of really complicated reasons why the Ethereum merge is critical for the chain, and it's very exciting to see if they can pull off a proof-of-stake model, which would massively increase their efficiency and their ability to mine more Ethereum. It takes just a staggering amount of energy right now to mine ETH, and proof-of-stake makes that a little bit more energy-efficient but also changes completely the dynamics of how Ethereum is used. Because in order to be an Ethereum miner post-merge, you have to have staked Ethereum, right? And so there's going to be two independent pressures on the ETH blockchain the moment the merge goes live. Pressure one is that everybody is holding on to staked ETH right now until the merge and then wants to potentially get rid of it. So there'll be a huge amount of sell pressure on Ethereum. But in the same breath, in order to have an Ethereum node and be a validator on the new Ethereum blockchain, you have to be holding staked ETH. So there's going to be simultaneous, really interesting buy and sell pressure on the blockchain. And believe me, I don't care what anybody says, no one can tell you which one of those forces is going to win out. So, a very interesting moment in Ethereum. We're maintaining our Ethereum position, but we're also watching these dynamics very, very closely because they're very complicated and they come down to like a minor versus minor perspective. Um, that's with an E, by the way. And if Ethereum goes super well, that'll also help a lot of the rest of the blockchain ecosystem. We will have a whole narratives post coming out about where we think the blockchain industry is going in the next three months, especially for the rest of the bear market. So, until that. We're just going to give you the ifs, ands, or buts. So if Ethereum's stake goes well, we're excited about our position in Polygon, but we're also excited in our various positions in Solana and ICP. Even though Solana keeps finding ways to disappoint us and then recover completely. So there was a recent hack on various Solana wallets where it became very easy for people to stay steal hundreds of millions of dollars worth of Solana. And the issue was that Solana didn't really communicate that on the front end. So a lot of people didn't know why Solana was being hacked. They thought all of Solana wallets were hackable and therefore a lot of people sold Solana, driving the price down when in fact it was isolated to a single wallet that just was, you know, a bad closed loop ecosystem as opposed to more of an open source project. So a moral of the story is, you know, buy crypto, hold it on a hardware ledger if you can afford it, and don't ever show anybody your public key. Just make sure that doesn't happen. But the fact that Solana keeps recovering from issues like this means we're just going to keep holding on to it. But again, it gets to a point where maybe... <laughs> Uh, it's got too much negative pressure on it as a project, right? So we'll keep an eye on that, but we're maintaining, at the very least, our Bitcoin and Ethereum positions, and we have some interesting ideas about various altcoins, specifically potential Ethereum competitors, just in case the Ethereum merge doesn't go well, or in a more positive version of the crypto universe, where there are going to be multiple layer one blockchains, like Ethereum and Solana both have long-term sustainability, along with a new project we like called the Internet Computer Protocol by Definity. If you're a member of Moby.co, you can read more about that, you know, over at Moby.co. Check out our app. Otherwise, if you're still listening to this, I mean, thank you, you're an actual saint. If you like this style where just one person talks for this level of time, please let us know. Hit us up over on Discord. Hit, email us at hello at Moby.co. Any way you can tell us really helps because it's actually very interesting to see if this style is palatable to our audience because that would open up us doing a lot more live streams where we would go live on TikTok and myself or one of our analysts would just talk about their top level thoughts about the market day by day by day. And that would make various algorithms happy. And if it would make you, our audience, happy too, it's kind of a no-brainer then. So we would love to hear from you about that. If you didn't like this, I really, really want to hear that too. Don't be shy about criticism. We are still very new to the way we present market information to our audience and to the public at large. And I want to make sure that you get what you 
want out of this intellectual relationship. So do not be shy. It will not hurt my feelings. My only actual goal here as a presenter, journalist, and sort of like narrative seeker in the markets is to make sure that I find these narratives and present them to you in a way that you actually want them presented. So I have no pride wrapped up in here. I want to make sure that I am using your time in a way that you feel like it is not being wasted. That's my only goal. And therefore, you giving me feedback is how I accomplish that. So I will appreciate it very greatly. Regardless, I really appreciate your time. Any other questions for us, you can hit us up over at Discord and or hello at Moby.co. Thank you so much for listening to this. But that feels like a pretty solid place to end it. So just so you know, this podcast was produced, voiced, hosted entirely by me, Peter Starr. You can find me over, mostly over at Moby's TikTok. That's Moby.invest. You can also find me in, in various narrative posts over at Moby.co. Stick with us. We have a lot of great stuff coming out over at our app. If you're listening to this on a public stream, you can head over to Moby.co slash get started, and we will absolutely give you a discount just to see what we do here in terms of getting narratives out. We got some really good portfolio updates coming out and some really interesting market updates coming out over the rest of August as well. Regardless, I really appreciate your time, and as always, we'd like to leave you with peace, love, and incremental gains. Everyone be well. Thank you so much.